Oh, let us pray. God, we pray in these moments that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit. Fill us, God, with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with love. Fill us with joy. Fill us with peace. Fill us with patience. Fill us with kindness. Fill us with goodness. Fill us with gentleness. Fill us, God, with self-control. Oh God, I just pray for a, a filling of the Holy Spirit upon your church, upon this church, upon your people. God, we have walked through empty days, dark times, and have felt as parched as a desert floor. And so come now and fill us, heal us, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. It is so wonderful to welcome you to worship with us here at Providence Church. My name is Jacob Armstrong. I'm one of the pastors here. And one of the greatest privileges we have is each week to gather in worship, whether it be online or in person. Open up the Word of God and hear from God. And so know that I count it and our church counts it an honor that you would join us in worship in this time. I met Elena in Ocean Springs, Mississippi in September of 2005. That was just a few weeks after Hurricane Katrina had obliterated the coastline, knocked down every home, it seemed, in that area, and what seemed to me washed Elena's life away. Elena was a widow nearing 80 years old, and the volunteer work crew that I was on had been assigned to her house to carry the debris that was left over from her home, which was a total loss, from where her home sat out to the curb where dump trucks would come and pick up the trash. I learned that Elena, who was an 80-year-old widow, had been uh, born in Pearl Harbor and was a teenager Uh, when the attack on Pearl Harbor happened in her hometown. And then she had married a military man and now spent the rest of her life near the base here in Ocean Springs. So here she was, her words to me, she said, I have lived now with my life bookended by two great American tragedies, Pearl Harbor and Hurricane Katrina. And so for a few days, I was able to pick up pieces of her home and take it to the curb. We were given one specific task, and that was if we saw something that we thought was of value or perhaps even of sentimental value, we would take it and we placed it in a smaller pile that was sitting next to Elena as she sat in her lawn chair in her driveway. And so we stacked up broken picture frames, stuffed animals, things like that. We did this work for a few days, and then we were about to move on to another house to do the same work, and that's when Elena called me over to that lawn chair in the driveway. She handed me a piece of notebook paper and a pen, and she asked me to go around to the rest of the work crew, who are mostly folks from my church, and asked me to get their names and addresses. I assumed that she was wanting to send us all a thank you note, and so being the pastor on the crew, I let Elena know that no thank you would be necessary. I told her we were honored to be there, and there was no reason for her to you know, send us a thank you note. That's when she pointed her pointer finger in my face and said, young man, I do not intend to send any thank you notes. I would like the names and addresses to send the invitations. 
That's when a moment in my life became a story that I would tell years later. When I asked her, Elena, an invitation for what? And she said, an invitation, the celebration that I will hold when my home is rebuilt. There are times when it seems our whole lives have been washed away. Times that seem so different, so difficult, so broken that we might even uh, call our very life a wasteland, a wasteland of our expectations, a wasteland of our hopes, a wasteland of our dreams, maybe even sometimes a whole wasteland of our life. But the truth is, with God, nothing is wasted. Those of us who follow Jesus can see the mess of broken lives, including our own, all around us, and begin dreaming about how God is going to bring it all back together again, how God is going to restore, how God is going to save, how God is going to set up a time so that we can right now start making the guest list for a party early. As Christians, we can do that really early. Moses is one of the central figures in the story of God's people that is found in the Bible. We talk about him a lot. I talk about him a lot. Moses was born to a Hebrew slave family in Egypt at the precise time when Hebrew baby boys were being killed because the Pharaoh feared that the servant class would someday have enough power to take over the ruling class. You may have heard the story about how Moses' brave mother, while pregnant, made a plan to save her baby if her baby was a boy. He was indeed a boy, and her plan included hiding him as long as she could hide him, which ended up being three months. And then at the end of three months, when she could hide him no longer, she put baby Moses in a basket and pushed him out into the Nile River. Just by happenstance, the Pharaoh's daughter was near the river at that time, And she rescued that little baby boy, pulled him out of the water, and Moses, instead of growing up in a slave family, grew up as a prince of Egypt. As an adult, when Moses was grown up, he saw an Egyptian taskmaster beating a Hebrew slave, and he knew at this point that his own uh, nationality was actually as a slave, not as a prince. And so this anger grew up in Moses' body, which he translated into violence and killed that Egyptian taskmaster and hid his body in the sand. The next day, Moses' cover-up plan was exposed and he found out that his murder was known and now his adopted father of sorts, the Pharaoh, was out to take his very life. And so Moses ran into the wilderness. He fled into the desert And he lived there for 40 years, 40 years in exile, 40 years away from his family. In the Bible, 40 years often means a long time. And then Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Horeb is called the mountain of God now. 
Oftentimes, things get a different name, a different look when you're looking back on the story that you're telling. But when Moses was there, the, the, the mountain Horeb actually meant this, waste. The word in the Hebrew, Horeb, just means waste. Horeb was a burn-up place, a dried place, a part of the wilderness that no one went to. It was the wasteland, and it was there that God showed up. It was there the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. This is Moses' pivotal, life-changing moment. From here on out, pivotal, life-changing moments are known as burning bush moments. That's how we tell the story when we look back on it, because God went and found Moses out in the wilderness, not just the wilderness, the far side of the wilderness, not just the far side of the wilderness, the wasteland. Don't you see, it was the wasteland of Moses' life. His life was in debris all around him. He didn't have any flocks of his own. He was tending the flocks of his father-in-law. It was a professional wasteland. He had left his family back in the tents there in Midian. It was a relational wasteland when he went to the far side of the wilderness. Forty years in the desert, an emotional wasteland for Moses. And there he was at Horeb, the place of waste. But with God, nothing is wasted. The Lord speaks to him out of the bush and says, I have heard the people crying. The Lord speaks to him out, him out of the bush and says, I am concerned about their suffering. He's talking about those people back in Egypt. The Lord speaks to him out of the bush and says, so, it's one of the greatest so's in all of human history. God says, so, I've come down to rescue the people. Why, God, have you come to this bush in the wasteland to rescue the people back in Egypt? The reason, God says, Moses, is because I'm going to send you to do it. That's why this is the pivotal moment. God is planning a rescue mission, and he's going to use Moses to execute it. Moses says, well, who am I to do that? Literally, that's what he says. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God's response is, I will be with you. Interesting, Moses says, who am I? And God says, I will be with you. Moses asks the logical next question. He says, okay, who are you? And God says, I am who I am. The only reason we talk about Moses now is because he went back to Egypt. And he led that slave people out into another wilderness for another 40 years with the promised land set out before them the whole time. There was a Red Sea crossing. There was 10 commandments given on the mountain. Moses did talk to God face to face. Water did come out of a rock. Bread was on the ground every morning. There were miracles in the sky, but it all started in the wasteland. Every season has importance. Every season has importance. 
even the wasteland. No season can be rushed. No season can be rushed. You may be in a, in a season right now, you're like, I can't wait for it to be fall, right? Well, there is not a dang thing you can do about it to get it to fall. <laughs> no season can be rushed. No pumpkin spice latte in September will mean that fall has arrived. You're kidding yourself. No season can be rushed, especially the wasteland. Something I've learned is the wasteland's always longer than you want. But God calls the wasteland holy, meaning different, meaning uh, set apart, meaning um, God is in the moment, meaning you'll never look back on this moment the same when you're telling the story about it later. God calls the wasteland holy. The holy ground for Moses was not in the palace. The holy ground was not in the home of his father-in-law when he met his bride. The holy ground was at Horeb on the far side of the wilderness when Moses heard the voice of God speaking out of a bush. The most important moment for Moses' life is when he looked God in the eyes in the middle of the wasteland with his life in wreckage all around him. But nothing was wasted because nothing is wasted with God. So, if your life right now looks more like the far side of the wilderness than the promised land, listen up. Listen to what Moses said in the, in the wilderness, in the wasteland. It's what we will say in the wasteland. Here's what he said. First, he said, here I am. Next, he asked, who am I? That's what we say in the wasteland. Here I am, God. That's my encouragement to you today, that you would start there, that you would just say to God, here I am, God. Have a moment this week where you say, here I am, God. Here I am. Not get me out of here, God. Not when's the next thing going to be next, God. Just say, here I am, right here, God. Here I am, here I am. And then you can ask, who am I? Who am I, God, to be the one to get through this? You can actually ask God what he's thinking about you in this present moment. God says, who, I mean, Moses said, who am I, God? Listen to what he goes on to say. This is Moses just a few paragraphs later. He says this to the Lord. He is trying to build the most convincing case that God should not choose broken Moses on the far side of the wilderness to go back and do this dangerous deed. He says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent. What he's saying is Moses, God has asked Moses to go speak to a king. He's saying, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken your word to your servant, which was only like five minutes ago. He says, I'm slow of speech and tongue. Moses is saying, I have no qualifications to get myself out of the wilderness and to get another group of people through the wilderness, which is really interesting because that's not how Moses is remembered that's not how they'll tell the story later. Some 1,500 years later, the first person to lose their life for speaking the name of Jesus as their Lord was a man named Stephen. Stephen was standing before the men. They had the rocks in their hands, and they were about to stone him, and they did. And in Stephen's last speech before he became the first Christian martyr, do you know that he was talking about Moses? Here's what he says about Moses 1,500 years later. He says, Moses was educated 
in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and powerful in speech and action. Why was Stephen talking about Moses? Because he was talking about another person who didn't have the qualifications to say a great word to some people and, and be a part of a movement of God. But he says Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. What Stephen is saying actually makes more sense than what Moses says about himself. Raised in the palace, Moses would have had the best education. Moses is actually remembered as someone who is very powerful in speech. Go back and read his story. It seems like Moses always had the right word with the right power in the right moment. But Moses in the wilderness says, I can't talk. Moses doesn't even know who he is. He says, who am I, God? And that's exactly what we ask God in the wasteland. We come to these places and say, who am I, God? And what we mean by who am I, God, is who am I to be one who will make it through this? What we learn in the wilderness is really interesting. When you think what we say is here I am and who am I, God, what we learn in the wasteland is God is there and we learn who God is. So when Moses asks, who am I, God responds, I will be with you. The response to who am I, God, which is really how am I going to get through this, is God saying, I'm here What Moses really learns is not who he is. Moses doesn't have self-discovery in the wasteland. Moses doesn't get to the bottom of his true self. Moses doesn't learn his Enneagram number. He learns who the living God is and that the living God is right here in the wasteland. God tells him, He's asking, who am I, who am I, who am I? And God's saying, I'm the God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of of Jacob. And so what God is telling him is his story. Those names may not mean anything to you, but Moses would be being called back into his story. God says, I am who I am. The most definitive statement of, of, of pure nature that anyone could say, only God can say it. The Lord is teaching him about his very nature. This is like virtual school out in the wilderness learning something you could never get in the classroom. That's what you do in the wasteland. You learn who God is. We're going to be as lost as Moses on the far side of the wilderness if all we talk about are our preferences and our true selves and which way we're leaning. No, making it through the wasteland is all about who God is. Pour yourself into learning about who God is. Pour yourself into the very nature of who God is. Who is God as revealed in the wilderness? This is what we learn. Who is God? He is the God who hears. The first thing he says to Moses is, I have heard your crying. Who is God? The God who cares. The next thing he says is, I'm concerned about your suffering. Somebody get moved by that in this moment, that God hears you and is concerned about the pain that you're feeling right now. Who is God? The God who acts. So I have come down to rescue. We do not have a God who just hears us and then feels a little concern. We have a God who comes and acts. We have a God who also plans ahead. That's my favorite part. The reason I say that is because what God says to Moses in that moment is he says, Moses, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, so he's already speaking future reality into Moses' scared mind. 
He's saying, when you take all those people out of Egypt, you will come back to this mountain and worship me. That's why it's called the mountain of God. God is showing him this, this imaginative, beautiful, restoring plan that he's already made. He's just asking Moses to be a part of it. We have a God who plans ahead, meaning nothing is wasted with God. He hears every cry, he cares about every tear, and he has a rescue plan that is in the works, and he's planning it early. Nothing is wasted with God. Not a terrible edict from an evil king to kill babies. It's not wasted. Not the tears and the courage of a mother who prays to save her child. It's not wasted. Not the cry of a baby out in a basket in a river. Nothing is wasted. Not his moments of loneliness in the wasteland. Not the hours in a dead-end job. Not the emotional anguish of 40 years of regret and shame. Nothing is wasted with God because of who God is. He hears his people. He cares about them. He acts, and he's setting up a beautiful plan, a plan for our good and his glory. That's why Elena could sit in a lawn chair next to the debris of her home and be making a guest list for a party. Not because she knew herself after 80 years, but because she knew God. She saw how God had pieced together the wreckage of planes and ships in the harbor of her youth. And so when she sat in a different harbor filled with debris, she had hope because of who God was and the story that she'd already seen acted out. She taught me, a young pastor, that on her mind when her home was obliterated was not polite thank yous to the cleanup crew, but an invitation guest list to a celebration of restoration. <laughs> That's why right now, we have to join God in planning for celebration. That's why right now, we can't hang our heads any longer. Because the God of our ancestors wastes nothing. He sent his son Jesus into the broken parts of every broken life to know the complete devastation of the cross and nothing about Jesus' death was wasted. It was the greatest so of all humanity. So Jesus came down to rescue us. And now that we walk through a wilderness of our own, it's important. It can't be rushed. And guys, it's holy. The moment we're in right now, the ground we're standing on right now is holy, not because of us, but because God is here. Listen to some of the early writings of the Christians. Peter's words in 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come, those trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith. These trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, 
glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Nothing is wasted with God, no tear that you're crying, no suffering that you're subjected to, no lonely night, no broken heart, no 20-something weeks of pandemic. Nothing is wasted with God. Some days I still go to my mailbox filled with faith. I tried it again this week. I still walk to the, to the mailbox expecting my invitation from Elena. I gave her my address. And when it comes, I may need a Sunday off because I will not miss the party, either on this side of heaven or on the other side. So, guys, keep faith. Keep going. Nothing is wasted with God. When Moses arrived at the foot of Mount Horeb, he did not know that one day he would walk up that mountain again and the Lord would meet him there face to face. He did not know that he would be able to look down and see the gathered ragtag nation of the people of God that he had walked out of Egypt. He didn't know that Mount Horeb would be Mount Sinai. He didn't know they would look back and call it the mountain of God. He was in the wasteland and so in that moment, he just had to believe that God was there, that he should take his shoes off, and that he should go where God was sending him, and that the moments of his brokenness, of losing his mother, of being an adopted son who goes into a palace, and then is sent away as a fugitive murderer, would all be pieced back together so that one day, the first Christian who would lose his life for Jesus would say, I remember Moses. I remember how he spoke. I remember the power that was in his voice. I remember how he led the people. And so Stephen said, I will go to God like Moses because of Jesus. <laughs> and so guys, what I'm saying is take notes right now. You're going to have a story to tell the ones who come after us in Jesus name. Amen.